welcome everybody to the next edition of the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella. I'm the co-host. And I'm Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. <laughs> and we are pleased, Tyler, to have on the show today two folks that were affected by uh, Hurricane Florence back in September of 2018, Steve Mercer. Hello, Steve. Hey, Peter. Hey, Tyler. Good to have you on, Steve. And uh, with Steve is is Joe Gahand. Joe Gahand, who's also with uh, uh, Coastal Transplants. And uh, Joe, thanks for taking the time to be on the show today. Thanks for having us on. Well, we're here because we wanted to talk about Hurricane Florence that hit the North Carolina coast on September 13th, 2018. A little more than, what are we, two months now? September, yeah, no, two months. And uh, one of the things that Tyler and I have talked about a lot is that we tend to forget what these storms do and what happens afterward. Yeah, you know, uh, all too often, uh, especially in hurricane season, uh, you know, you'll get, you'll get that left hook followed by that haymaker, in this case, Michael, and we forget that uh, that initial storm, Florence, was so devastating. So, Steve, it's, it's great to have you and Joe on uh, to learn a little bit about uh, what that storm did in your lives and how your recovery is coming along. Well, we're glad to be here. We appreciate y'all taking the time to, to, to just listen to our story. So um, we're, we're, we've got some... We've got some interesting things that you just don't think about during hurricanes, you know. Well, and we want to jump into that. And I, I think for the listeners out there, just a quick review. Tropical, I mean, tropical storm, boy, certainly wasn't that. Hurricane Florence in September. I remember watching it, Tyler and I watched it on CNN as it came across the Atlantic from Cape Verde and... uh it was a it was a category four storm with 140 mile an hour winds on September 10th, and all of the tracks were going right toward North Carolina. Yeah, and and uh, if you go back into the archives of the American Shoreline podcast, you'll you'll find our opening thoughts on hurricanes episode, um, where we were kind of talking about how uh, the American Shoreline podcast network would talk about hurricanes, and one of the things, Peter, that mm -hmm. we've discussed is. You know, we're not going to have the guy standing out there in the rain, but but we will have people like Steve and Joe onto this program to tell us about the ongoing efforts that uh, and the ongoing effects of those storms. And um, so that's really, you know, we're we're carving out our niche here in in our, our storm coverage to provide our listeners with something that you're not going to find. Uh, on CNN or you know the mainstream guys, they're 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 looking at the next storm and and that's what they do. That's not what we do. Yeah. And it's a bit of a distant memory. And uh, uh, Steve and Joe, that's why we wanted to have you on. That hurricane hit as a Category One storm, but the uh, there was a storm surge with it. But the big deal was the rain. So uh, Steve, Joe, tell us about Hurricane Florence. Well, uh, for us, um, and and as as many of you know uh, that that know me, 
we we utilize our greenhouses in our business. And so for us, Hurricane Florence really started the weekend before where we were prepping everything and getting everything right ready for what we considered to be a, a, a you know, a category four hitting us and, and not just a category four, but a slow moving category four. And, uh, so we worked, you know, almost five days solid getting prepared for it. And then as it approached the coast, it dropped, uh, uh, uh speed significantly mm-hmm. as in, as in not only wind speed, but also forward movement speed. And so we, you know, uh, we had prepared uh, uh, what we thought uh, was fairly adequately for a Category 4. And then uh, as it kept dropping, you know, of course, our our anxiety level dropped as the numbers dropped. And and so when when it hit and, uh, you know, we were ready Wednesday night, really Wednesday nights when we first started feeling it, so that would be on the 12th when, when we, when it hit, we were really feeling good. We were getting hit by category one and, uh, we felt that with the preparations we had made, we were, we were going to be in really good shape. Um, so not, uh, not personally, a, well, well, go ahead. I think one thing you ought to help our listeners understand is tell us about the company and what kind of a facility, where it's located, uh, how far from the coast, that kind of thing. Um, all right, we're we're we. I, I consider us an environmental restoration business. We grow plants for uh, coastal restoration, so we we our facilities are greenhouses. We're located in Bolivia, North Carolina, and that's that's really about I, I don't know seven so nautical miles or as a crow flies uh, from the ocean. So we're we're fairly close to the ocean uh, uh, to water. Uh, takes us about fifteen minutes to get to the nearest beach, but uh, you know we're we're well back in the woods and you know out in the country uh, in the rural area, and so we uh, we have a lot of trees around us and that helps buffer us in hurricanes in the past and and so. Um, that's the you know our our main facilities the things that that you know uh, put the put food on the table are the greenhouses. So Steve, so Steve, uh, what what would be the uh, elevation at your uh, facility there? Golly, uh, I'm going to say thirty. Okay, thirty thirty-five. I'd have to look that up on Google Earth. I should know that. But we're, it's it's still we're pretty right low. In yeah, it, we're we're right in between two floodplains, so we uh, uh, we're sort of a a little bit of a high point where we are. So you know, we're between I, I'd easily say thirty forty feet. So Steve, you know, being a, a a resident of the Carolinas, there you're no stranger to uh, storms coming in. Uh, how did Florence stack up to other storms that you've experienced previously? Uh, Florence, Florence was not a nice lady. (laughs) Um, Florence's problem was speed. Um, we lost power Wednesday night. The storm did not leave us. Wind did not leave us. Rain did not leave us until Sunday. And 
So Thursday and Friday, we were under hurricane conditions. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I would say, of the storms I've been through in my lifetime, and I was born and raised here, uh, the storms I've been through in my lifetime, this, this was definitely memorable. And it was just because it just, it just would not go away. Um, uh, so, uh, that's, that's where this one, uh, racks up and just, it just was just slow moving and, and that's where the damage happened. Uh, that and the rain, just, the uh, just the sheer volume of water that came out of it was, uh, was, was incredible. One of the local TV stations on their on newscast did something that I found very interesting. They took the eye of the hurricane when it was over Wilmington, and it went from Wilmington to Fayetteville. Fayetteville was about an hour and a half drive from here. They put their the GPS setting on walk, and when the eye of the hurricane went from Wilmington to Fayetteville, you could have walked there quicker than the eye of the wow. hurricane went. Mm -hmm. That's how slow it was moving. I think in uh, in Wikipedia they say it was two to three miles per hour. So it was just a big old wet beast that sat on top of the Carolinas there. And, and uh, what, 30 inches or more of rain fell in, in that? I think the storm. total ended up being 34 inches. Wow. So, so in, in your facility, how, uh, how many uh, dune plants do you have uh, growing there that were lost? We, we were, we were sort of lucky on that. Uh, we were, it hit us at the end of the season. And so most of our plants had already moved out. We had some crops started for, um, uh, we, we try to run two seasons. And so we had some started for our second season. I, I'm going to say out of the 80 to 90,000 plants we had in the facility at the time, we lost about 20 to 25,000. Wow. So, uh, you know, we, we lost a significant portion of what was there, but, but, you know, uh, we were at the end of the season, you know, Peter, if that thing had hit us, uh, 30 to 45 days before we would have had, uh, somewhere between 200,000, you know, 200, 220,000 plants in there. And our losses would have been Ooh. a lot more significant. And, and we would have lost not just the greenhouses, but we would have also lost, you know, our, our ability to work. I mean, we, we have a very narrow window for warm season plants and, uh, and if that thing had happened in mid-July or something like that, we would have lost over half our our revenue for the year. So we, we were lucky that uh, from uh, – well, I say we're lucky. Uh, as, as the, you know, the owner, chief financial officer, bottle washer, cook, uh, you know, floor sweeper – uh, you know, I sort of look at it from a from a business standpoint, and you know, you know, we uh, we got lucky from that standpoint. Hmm. You and, know, for, for the listeners and, and, out there, Steve, um, tell us what you grow. I mean, you're you. I mean, 
Coastal Transplants is a company that restores uh, dunes, provides dune plants right in wetlands. But what what kind of stuff do you grow in there? Well, um, our, our focus is is frontal dune plants, and along the east coast, we, we focus mainly on sea oats and bitter panicum are two. Um, our two staples, those are the bread and butter crops, mm-hmm. um, along the East coast, you know, with our erosion rates where they are, um, you know, we're, we're focusing mainly on the two plants that can trap the most sand fastest. Mm-hmm. And, and so for our East coast customers, those are, those are our bread and butter. We do some Spartina patens, which is uh, salt meta hay, um, uh, uh, we do some, uh, elder and some, uh, beach croton or beach tea, according to where you are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you call it. But though, you know, that's our, that's our staple right there. And, uh, what coastal, the Gulf, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. I, I apologize. Yeah. For our, ghost, uh, our Gulf coast customers where, uh, w- w- we can be a little more adventurous with the plants you know, we have some other species we grow for them, railroad vine, you know, some oxide daisies and stuff like that. Well, Steve, clearly uh, you and uh, your team uh, have a a wide variety of dune plants that you cultivate uh, from, I understand, native uh, seed because uh, uh, there are, you know, adaptive features from um, seed stock from certain areas, I understand. Uh, and, and I want to circle back to that a little bit later uh, in the show. But I, I want to go back to you, you know, about a week out, you see the storm out there, you know that this, that Florence can be a, a heavy hitter for you. And so you start preparing your greenhouses. What, is, what, what are you doing to get ready for this storm? Um, just making sure everything's tight. Uh, all the plastics tight. We, 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 if, if we right at the last minute, we'll throw shade cloth over the greenhouses to help protect the plastic a little bit. Our biggest issue that we've found in the hurricanes are the end walls and the end walls will blow out on you. And once that happens, then you get uplift inside the greenhouses, all that air packs in that greenhouse and it'll actually lift the greenhouse up off the ground. So we, um, we, you know, that was the kind of stuff we were preparing for. And just, uh, um, Peter is, it, it, you know, like in real life, you, you know, everybody talks about spring cleaning. We, our cleaning actually is, is, is a fall cleaning or into summer cleaning. We, because we have a tight window, we, we, we pretty much run all summer long. And, and things sort of, uh, you know, you, you let any non-production thing, you sort of let that sort of slide and you'll end up making a little pile here and a little pile there. And, and so before a hurricane comes in, you're just sitting there going anything that can blow. And that means, you know, uh, anything less than 50 to 70 pounds, you, you've either got to get it, you know, to the dump or you got to get it. Uh, secured, tied down somewhere, you got to get it in a building. And so for the week before, that's, that's pretty much what we were doing. Any, any doors we had, we were getting our reinforcing ready. 
our greenhouses are built on a headhouse system. So we, the front of the greenhouse actually goes into a metal building where we work and uh, can uh, can sort of make our distribution system out of there. And the way we've got them built, we we uh, let the airflow come in through the greenhouse and go out through the uh, or in through the headhouse and out through the greenhouses. And so, you know, now with the hurricane, we're we're looking at just the opposite. Uh, if anything happens to the greenhouse, which is the weakest link in the system, then you don't want to lose your structure, your headhouse. So now we've got to board everything up and and prepare for reverse airflow where it's coming from the greenhouse and into the headhouse. And, and once again, uplift in a hurricane is your worst problem. You let that air pack in there and and it'll blow, it'll blow a metal roof right off a uh, right off a shed. So we we spent a lot of time just just preparing for that. And like I said with a four we, you know, we were looking at at things like, okay, we've got a better than 50% chance we're going to lose the shed. So all the equipment that we've either hand-built or had specially built, uh, specialty built for our business, you know, we, that we normally store in the shed in the hen house, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, if this, if this structure goes down, you know, that's a piece of equipment that, you know, will take me six months to replace. And it's, uh, you know, I've got to get it specially built. And so, uh, we, we were moving stuff and, and, and fortunately I had gone out and bought a container last year and so we were moving everything that we normally store in the container out and putting all our our stuff in there that we absolutely could not lose. And I mean, that's, you know, that's what you're looking at when you're when you're talking about a category four is you're just looking at at, you know, what what can I save? I mean, you know, it's yeah. going to be bad. But what can I say? Well, and I think, you know, it sounds like your primary concern there, looking at it from, you know, days before landfall was the wind. Yeah. Uh, and obviously you want to secure up anything that can blow and turn into a, a flying deadly object. Um, but uh, in, I guess what, I mean, how did the winds in reality, when, when the storm did roll in, how did they... How did your uh, your preparations hold up? The preparations held up pretty good, actually. the The problem with the winds was not the severity, but the length, the duration. I mean, just uh, uh, most hurricanes are going to come and go in a twenty four hour period. You know, there if you're if you've got a storm that's two hundred foot wide and it's moving at at fifteen miles an hour. You know, when you start feeling the winds and when you, when they start going away, you're talking, you know, 24, 30 hours, something like that. And that's, you know, um, you know, I think that's what sort of caught a lot of us in this area uh, by surprise is when that thing stalled out and just really slowed down. And then 
the the winds diminished before they got to us. So we were talking Category 1 when they got here. Mm -hmm. But while they stayed on top of us, you know, you always expect that ground effect where, okay, it's going to hit us as a 1, it's going to drop to a tropical, and really by the time the backside comes over us, you know, we're we're really not pushing hard winds at that point. We just got to make it through that front side. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and in my opinion, and I'm, I'm, you know, the weather data may say a different story, but setting in, you know, setting in this house, those winds didn't drop, and they didn't drop for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. So you're talking a Category One for for 48 to to 72 hours, and and when the backside hit, uh, it was strong. I mean, we. Uh, we went out during the eye. At, we lost the greenhouses about 45 minutes before the eye went over. I mean that, and that's you know that's typical. That that eye wall is your strength, yeah. and uh, and so uh, we were. I was constantly checking them, and. Uh, about 45 minutes before the eye went over, the, the, the greenhouse is lifted off. What was, and, uh, uh, Steve, Joe, what was it like when you're, you're there? A category one storm is around 75 miles an hour plus. Uh, what was it like when the greenhouses lifted up and blew away? Well, I was in the house. I got a two story house, so I could see, I, when I'm upstairs, I can see the top of the greenhouses and um, I had checked on them, and, you know, everything was solid. And then I came downstairs, and, of course, you know, no power, so you've got no uh, sort of um, ancillary noise. All you're listening to is the wind and the trees, and you're, you're listening, you know, um, you're listening for the tornadoes. You're listening for the trees to crack. If you can hear, if you can hear a tree crack, then that's when you're, you know, it's close, and you know, you know, you got a chance that that's coming, you know, on the house or something. Wow. And I heard a popping, and that's when I knew. Uh, and it, you know, uh, Peter, this isn't my first rodeo on losing greenhouses in a hurricane. So I heard that popping, and I knew what that was was, you know, 150 foot of canvas slapping in the wind and and it's just and that's what it is just plastic slapping in the wind and you can hear that noise and it and it sounds like a you know an old uh towel that you 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 know roll it up and pop it you know a rat tail and, and and you can hear that popping and i was like well we just lost them so we we got in the we got in the atv and rode down there and sure enough uh we lost one, it went over and ripped the other one, which caused it to go. And then while we were there, the backside ripped off the third one. And that was just that eye wall. And we, we look at the damage in hindsight and we're pretty sure something happened overhead because it took the center of the greenhouse and the center five bows in a in, in a in that greenhouse were lifted probably 
15 feet in the air. So just wow. put, pulled right out of the ground and lifted in the air. So, uh, you so, know, we, we feel like something went over, but that's, that's sort of how we knew we could hear it from the house. And, uh, we went down there and it just, it happened. And, and, uh, I don't know, uh, Peter, I hate, I hate to say this, but I was sort of at ease with it. Like I said, it's not the first time I've lost a greenhouse. I was like, well, we know what we're going to do. <laughs> we know what we're doing tomorrow, you know? Yeah, we start, start <laughs> to get to work. And, well, yeah, but, well, and, and, uh, but yeah. that really, um, Peter, that, you know, that's my sad story, but that really isn't the, the worst part of the hurricane. The worst part of the hurricane was just the flooding that happened later, all that rain and all that stuff. Um, and, and from a business standpoint, you know, like I said, I was sort of at ease with it. I was fine. Uh, I knew what I had to do tomorrow and I knew I had the materials available. I, I, you know, when we talk about preparation, I had already called the supplier and said, uh, this is the size plastic I need, uh, put them on hold for me. Don't, sell, don't sell them. <laughs> you know, those are mine. And uh, I'll pay in advance for them because I, I pretty much knew I was going to lose plastic. And yeah. so we, you know, we were ready. It, it was no big deal. I was sort of fine with it. And then and then the flooding happened. And uh, and that's really for for our community. That's really where where things turn the corner from you know, okay, it's a hurricane to holy cow, you know, we're seeing things live that we normally only see on the news. Wow. And, 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 uh, and Peter, you know, I'm, you know, you've known well, Steve, me for a while, I, Peter. It just, that, it just tore me up. Well, let's I, talk be about that because I think for the, for the listeners out there, uh, I think one of the things when you, when you look at, Hurricane Florence, that duration of stay, at least 48, 72 hours, but slow, slow moving. Uh, it is. It, it looks a little bit like Hurricane Harvey in Houston, where these big storms get over the coast, and, we're, and the, most of the impact is on the inland, not on the beach. They're not high-speed events. The wind speeds aren't, aren't great. Um, but it just the deluge is what does it. So and the and the area covered it went. I think the rain field for this storm went from coast the coast of the Carolinas. How far inland? Hundreds of miles of of heavy heavy rain, massive flooding. Um, that's a lot of water to to drain. And what did that look like in your town and in your community? Man, we. I, you know, I hate to even, you know, uh, try to describe it without pictures kind of thing. Cause they say pictures is a thousand words, but, uh, um, let, let me just, just so that, uh, uh, just, just so I can, uh, go back just a minute and say this from, from a coastal standpoint, the impact area really uh, the severe impact area was, say, from Ballhead Island, North Carolina, up to uh, the Outer Banks. That's where our beaches felt the impact. Uh, Topsail Island once again took a took a 
fairly good uh, lick, and um, even all the way up to uh, uh, Kill Devil Hills, uh, Kitty Hawk. There was there was a erosive scouring even up that far on our coast, um, but uh, but getting you know uh, turning it back to the flooding. The flooding was was um, it, it really was when you talk about the difference in this hurricane and other hurricanes. It, it all goes back to the flooding, and, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that. Um, if, if anyone has any knowledge of, let's say, a, a, a grocery store, they've got all those coolers and everything in there. Well, they have backup generators, you know, and they're fairly large generators. But what those generators don't have is they have a very limited supply of diesel or gas to run them, whatever. And, and that's from a safety standpoint. You, you don't want, you know, 500 gallons of diesel in a grocery store that, you know, might ignite and cause an explosion or whatever. Okay. So, um, so there's very limited amount of fuel in those generators. So what happened here was we had a very slow moving storm in coastal areas uh, a lot of times preventatively your 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 electrical suppliers your utility companies are going to shut the power down before the storm once the storm reaches a certain level say 45 miles an hour they're going to start shutting off power Mm -hmm. and that's to prevent uh you know uh uh damage and 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 death you know uh from falling lines and and shorts and stuff that might set houses on fire so you're shutting down the power and that for us happened on wednesday night well this thing was so slow uh even areas and we my home my personal home and business i felt like we were we were uh, uh had a very quick response that was Sunday to Monday. And I can't I can't remember whether it was Monday afternoon or Sunday afternoon we got power back. So you're talking almost five days with no power. So what happened to us was this flooding started going across roads and and shutting down roads. So the people that are contracted to refill those generators with fuel hmm. couldn't get to our grocery stores or convenience stores or, or, or anything like that. Our uh, mobile cell towers, uh, when the power goes off, they've got backup generators, but they've got a very limited supply of fuel. So I that see. flooding caused all these generators to run like kittens for 48 hours and then shut off. And so what we saw here for the first time and, and since I've been here is, is we really had a shortage of food. I mean, uh, uh, we were all prepared for, I mean, I, I was prepared for a week, you know, if not more. I mean, we were lucky. We, you know, yeah, we had generators for the business. So, you know, I could keep the refrigerator going and the freezer if I needed to. So, you know, food wasn't that big of an object for us, but 
uh, we weren't prepared yeah. for the length of time. Well, you know, it, I think it, one of the things I, I heard, Steve, and we, we had a chance to, to talk about this just a bit, uh, was this food problem. And, and uh, were you involved? I guess you have a, you have a chicken production business as well. <laughs> tell us about... <laughs> tell us about the chickens and tell us about, were you involved in rescue? Were you in, were you picking up your neighbors? What did you guys do? So the, the, the area is flooded. Uh, yeah. There's no power. Uh, people are losing whatever food they have is spoiled. This is a generator limitation. But what, what the heck was going on after the storm? And what, what was the deal with the chickens? <laughs> my, my, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to elaborate on this much because I'm sure my wife's going to listen to this. But uh, my wife has a, um, uh, an egg laying business, and it's a free-range egg layers, and she sells to local restaurants and, and people. Okay. Well, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, after a hurricane sort of if you're if you're a local protocol is you know mind your own business stay as tight as you can check on your neighbors obviously but sort of stay tight as you can and let emergency and utility um do their job unobstructed you know they don't they don't need spectators and they don't need yeah. to be dodging cars out on the road that's right everybody so sit tight after the storm we you know, we we hung tight here. We cleaned up what we could. We we had neighbors behind. You know, um, uh, my closest neighbor by car, I will say, is maybe two miles away. So uh-huh. to drive to my closest neighbor. So we, you know, we got out and uh, sort of checked on things and checked with them. We had a power line across the road. Um, maybe a half mile from the end of my driveway. And then on the other side, we had a little, uh, we have a little low spot. So, uh, uh, that, that was beginning to flood and there was some, uh, the, the road had eaten away a little bit. And so, you know, we were sort of sticking close to home. And, uh, so for, Three or four days after the storm, you know, we're here. My wife has this chicken business. I'm I'm sort of trying to figure stuff out. The storm had an impact on on the laying house, and so uh, we. <laughs> I was just trying to find chickens. To be honest with you, they they uh, once the storm blew one panel off, the the chickens uh, uh, they were like, well it's another day we need to get outside and get something to eat. And, yeah. uh, and so they were outside and there's just no telling where some of them went. But once we finally got to a point where we could get out, we began to realize the severity of what was going on around us. And not five miles from me was probably one of the worst hit areas in Florence, uh, Boiling Spring Lakes, North Carolina, and people trapped uh, floodwaters rising, um, people that, that, that we had talked to during the storm, no problem, you know, mobile phones still working. We no problem. We're, we're doing fine and, and everything. And then all of a sudden it just, when, when more and more water came and the first road, well, the first dam broke on the little lake 
and then it flooded the the lower lake and then that rose into people's houses and and so you know you didn't have days of notice or hours of notice hmm. it literally um you know you could go from absolutely no damage this is what i was told anyway uh, just no damage to an hour later you know, four feet of water in your house. And this is and, now days after the hurricane has already passed. You're past Monday, right? The, 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 yeah, so this, yeah. The impact was yeah. on the 13th, which I think was a Wednesday. Yeah. And it's a little bit like Katrina in that sense. The Ninth Ward in Katrina uh, flooded days after the hurricane had passed by. And this is one of the things that's interesting about these inland hurricanes and, and the impacts that are, uh, we don't, we think about it as a coastal event, but in this case, the rain field was so big, extended halfway across North Carolina, all of that water is going to come down to the coast. And uh, so days after the thing is over, most of the, a lot of the, you know, the, the news moves, has moved on and now the big flood starts. Uh, yeah. And and l- the loss and of houses, Bo- I mean, good grief. Yeah, for Boiling Springs, uh, uh, one of the issues was uh, a lot of the lakes are connected by culverts under the road. And when, when they started overflowing, they ate through the roads. So people were literally just little islands out there that you couldn't get out of at that point. And so homes were flooded, the floodwaters go down, no power, no way to get out. So you're, you're really, mm-hmm. uh, they're just trapped. And, and at that point, um, you know, some of the roads are getting back open, the, the utility crews, and we've got, a, we've got a wonderful utility crews here in our county. They, they had the roads cleared. Uh, they were restoring power as quickly as possible. And yeah. so we were able to sort of get out and, and start seeing things. And, and Peter, I've, I've told you, there, and, and Joe's here for a reason. And so there were two traumatic impacts to me in this thing. But we had had power for three or four days, you know, moving on with life, showering, working at the greenhouses, doing stuff like that. Uh, cooking in our house and stuff, and we go down to make a, a, you know, try to get a food run. And now we're we're pretty low, you know, we're we're getting to the bare necessities. And I go, you know, I'm getting ready to drive to now, Boiling Springs. Hang on a Bo- Boiling Springs, North Carolina, or the Boiling Springs of South Carolina? No, no, North Carolina. That is this, well. This- Inland. Boiling Spring Lakes. The Boiling Springs Lakes. Uh, and okay. All right. I'm just trying to look at it look at it on the map and see where yeah. see where all of this is. Uh, okay. Yeah. We, we we pulled so, it up. And yeah. you know, I, I was just looking through in, in the preparation in the preparation to kind of review the storm on the chicken issue. And I and I want to pick up on Boiling Springs Lakes and the and the flooding, but the agriculture impact of the storm, 3.4 million chickens and, uh, were killed in this storm. And North Carolina is a huge hog and chicken production state. The ag impacts were huge yeah. uh, from Hurricane Florence. And, and it had to do with this flooding 
that occurred and the flooding of these of these facilities. Um, so you know, I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. That is a lot. That's a lot of chickens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so how did how did Boiling Springs fare in this event? Well, they, this flood event. There, I mean, as of yesterday afternoon, there's still roads that are still cut uh, and open, and uh, you know they're they're just not where passable, went mean. across. So they still haven't even repaired the roads. Uh, some of them, some of the main roads in Boiling Springs to, uh, uh, you know, for people to start using main roads. Now, what happened was they, they started doing these emergency uh, 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 repairs. And so uh, to get from one sp- side of Boiling Springs to the other is, you know, is, is sort of like a corn maze. You've got to turn right, turn left, turn right, you know, mm-hmm. go straight, that kind of thing. Yeah. You, know, you can't, you the just can't farm take, to market road kind of deal. Yeah. I can't take a lot of those roads, but our, our thing on that was, um, you know, five days later I'm driving down the road and I'm going to Boiling Springs cause that's where a little convenience story is. I was going to see if they had anything down there. And, um, here comes a North Carolina national guard, um, uh, one of their big trucks and in the back of this truck is a rubber raft one of the rescue rafts and that raft is full of people and those people are soaked to the bone you can just see the look on their face of just total despair hunger just i mean the the thing I I see to this day is this this young lady's face and just the look on her face like uh, there was no hope and you realize she had probably lost everything she had she had been out there for three or four days trying to get out and to to be rescued you know by the National Guard. And literally the raft be put in the back of the truck and the people back in the raft. And that's how they got them to an emergency center. Wow. And, wow. It's and, the isolation you know, that came with the, with the persistent floodwaters, the, the loss of the transportation. And folks were, it's pretty isolated, this part of North Carolina, um, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty rural. And, you know, you might be, as you said, a, a, a bit of a ways from your neighbor. So when you're when you're trapped and you're running out of food. I mean, this is a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, for us, I mean, well, I'll speak personally for me. I mean, this is the first time I'd seen, like I said, it's the first time I've seen this kind of stuff. It's not, it's not on TV. I mean, I'm driving down the road and I'm seeing it with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's when we sort of realized that we, um, (laughs) We, we need to do something. I, I was going to Boiling Springs. There's a little Dollar General there. I said, let's just see if the convenience store, the Dollar General is open and let's at least see what we can find. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I truly realized sort of the impact of what was going on. One of my neighbors, uh, a, a girl named Lori Ann, had gone in and opened the Dollar General and there was a line outside the Dollar General, say 10 people deep. There was no power in the Dollar General. So literally Lori Ann would take a hand basket and she'd say, tell me what you want 
and I'll put it in this hand basket. You only get a hand basket. And she would go in there and she would take her little headlamp and she would go and you could say, um, you know, if you got spaghetti and spaghetti sauce, just get me that or anything cereal related. Just, you know, you couldn't be, you know, there wasn't any. <laughs> so they're kind of you, rationing you, out the limited supplies they have to the people at right. the door. And they wouldn't let people in. Yeah, it's and that's, dark and that's when I realized what was going on. Everything in those coolers had disintegrated, you know, basically, you know, ice cream yeah. had melted, uh, anything, you know, that, so well, let me, uh, anything uh, around the cooler okay. was, uh, let was me, just accessible. I have a question. I've really, you know, so when we think about the, the storm response and you think about all of the FEMA pre-positioning of water and food and the millions of dollars and all of that, here you are. Was there any FEMA presence during this period um, that you're talking about here? The, the answer to that, Peter, is I don't know what you would consider FEMA or not. This is, this is what I saw. I saw the National Guard, uh, uh, our, our National Guard, Mm-hmm. And eighty first, uh, this was um, this was sort of when when we knew it was bad. The eighty first Airborne was down, and that's who I had contact with was soldiers from the eighty first Airborne, and um, and they're stationed in Fayetteville and in, 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 in at Fort Bragg, and they were down with these huge trucks full of water, and they would give you as much water as you wanted if you could take ten cases, they'd give you ten cases. And and stuff like that. Our emergency management, I saw them. Now, was FEMA present? I, I'm sure they were. I uh, I know FEMA set a a headquarters at uh, Brunswick Community College, if I'm not mistaken, which is you know five miles the other way, and and stuff like that. But did was I seeing people with FEMA written on their jackets or, or right. shirts? No. Was okay. I um, seeing, you know, uh, signs with FEMA on it at all? No. But I know there was a FEMA presence here. For and sure. Did and they I, coordinate I, I, all I'm, of this? I'm sure they did. I, I'm just wondering when, when you see your neighbors going down to the store and trying to, you know, get basic food items and, and neighbors helping neighbors is the American way. That's what makes the country so great that y'all are reaching out to each other and taking care of each other. Um, but in desperate situations, obviously the capacity to do that can be limited because the area of impact is large. And, you know, I'm not trying to make a case here that FEMA is good or bad about this stuff. I, what I'm saying is that I, I want the, the listeners to understand that, you know, we all, I, I think, for those of us who do, don't live on the coast, you, you, you see, you know, the pre-preparation the preparation in advance and the press conferences and the, all of the, that stuff and everything's getting set up. And, and then you see the wind and the waves and the storm and all of that business that in every hurricane coverage. And then here we are two months later and, and, and the stories get a little bit more intricate. You find out they're quite personal. Um, the impacts are different than what we're told about. And I think most of us just assume that somebody's got all of that covered. 
and that's all happening just fine. And boy, all of this, this, uh, response is, is just lickety split. And I think the truth is it's, these storms are devastating, even in a first world country like America. And, uh, Folks can be left to their own devices a little bit out there. Is, is, is that it really a, depends? What do, you, what, do you, what do you think, Joe? Areas are affected because you know FEMA was set up just outside the area, knowing that they could get in on I forty, they can get in on eighty five, and just above New Hanover County on I I forty, um, there was a road washed out there, so you couldn't get into Wilmington. 421 was the other way you could get into Wilmington. Well, up towards uh, uh, right before the Wilmington area, part of that road got washed out. So now Wilmington is basically an island and nobody can get in through Wilmington. So then you got to come up through South Carolina. Well, the Lumberton area and all that area is flooded out as well, too. So you can't get anybody up that way. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where outside of being positioned at Brunswick Community College, there was really no way the first couple of days to get vehicles in outside of airlifts. And we did see a lot of airlifts going over, oh. especially going into Bowling Springs to, to either get people out or try to get food in. And 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 uh, we'll elaborate on that. I believe this was one of those where, you know, if you listen to the news, um, FEMA was prepositioned at Fort Bragg. I mean, there were they they put water on the ground, and and when you think about it, you're like, man, you know, that's awesome that they're they're they've they've taken the the available space at this military base. FEMA's gone in there, brought in supplies and stuff like that. We know it's a Category Four coming this way. They're far enough off the coast where you know water bottles aren't going to be floating in the ocean. Those kind of things. And so they're far enough away to, to, to minimize the effect of the impact of the storm, but close enough to get in. Mm -hmm. yeah. And and it's sort of like Joe said, I, I just I-40 cut in half. I mean, yeah. that, that thing was designed not to, not to do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, 421 in my lifetime, I've never seen 421 cut in half. Now, the Waccamaw River, say south of us, between us and Myrtle Beach, is uh, is our other sort of escape route or, or input route. Well, w we know the Waccamaw River is going to come come over the bridge there. There's just there's no two ways about it. That that's just a huge swamp, the Green Swamp, a lot of water, and we know that's going to happen. So you know you're looking at at 1:30 and saying, well, that's not even a viable, or, and and 2:11, those aren't even viable escape routes because, or or in or out routes, because we know those are going to be flooded. But you've got 4:21, you've got you you've got I-40, you've got 17 that that we've only seen that flood one time, and yeah. and, uh, and that was Floyd, uh, yeah, Floyd, and so. You know, you're you're just sitting there thinking, okay, we're we're in we're in pretty good shape, you know, not not an issue, you know, and uh, and it wasn't the case, and and that's where I think, you know, when I said my contact was with the 81st Airborne, that's because they came in they came in overhead. Those yeah. guys, those those troops came in on a helicopter. They established a, an emergency station, 
and then all the supplies were being flown in and people, you know, they were also using those helicopters to rescue people off of roofs and, and stuff like that. So we were, you know, we were seeing helicopters go over our house, like I said, two or three miles, five miles from, uh, uh, Boiling Springs by road. We were just seeing helicopters flying back and forth. Yeah. And, uh, and the emergency centers located on one side of me, the the hospitals located, you know, you know, uh, ninety degrees to the other side of me. So you were just, you know, we were sitting here hoping helicopters were going over the top of us because that just meant they're taking people to the emergency shelter. Yeah. But when you saw one come across in front of you and go off to the right, you knew that person was going to the hospital. So when we started seeing more and more of that, that's when we knew, you know, it's just not good. So, yeah, I I, I, want to talk a little bit about how that transition happened. You know, obviously in the in the aftermath of the storm with the roads being washed out, uh, the emergency response uh, was limited, it sounds like, primarily to to air and helicopter um how long did it take to get the roads back passable and start to get relief uh on the ground man that varied uh town creek was up for i want to say seven to ten days so for me to go north to wilmington i was 10 days before I could get there. I was 10 days before I could get to Joe's house. Wow. And, and, he, and we he, should probably he, cover, Joe, What? where were you when the storm hit? Were you at Steve's uh, farm and at his house, or were you at your place sheltering there? But my plan was to, to stay at our house. Um, we're about 15 minutes north of the farm. Um, my wife and family took off to my daughter's house down in South Carolina on a Tuesday, a Tuesday that week. And then when they were talking about the storm being a high four, low five, um, with the, with the, my wife's emphasis, I did, you know, took off and headed down to my daughter's house. So we weren't there during it. Um, we had you know, friends like Steve checking on the house for us and, um, our neighbors, um, and after the initial hit of the storm on Sunday, we got a report back that there was water in our little bit of water in the driveway, but not, nothing major. A lot of trees down. I mean, we lived there for 18 years, and there had never been any issue with floodwaters. And then, so we went to bed Sunday night feeling pretty good, and then we woke up Monday morning, uh, Tell put, put on the TV to the Weather Channel. <laughs> And there's Jim Cantori standing in front of my house, and our house was flooded. And that's how we found out Jim Cantori wow. was doing a live report from in front of our house. Um, and we ended up with six feet of water in the house. Woo. Wow. And that all took place, you know, talking to the neighbors in the back. There was 37 of the homes in the, in the development flooded out. Um, about 2 o'clock in the morning when uh, I talked to my neighbor to one side, they got evacuated. Uh, at two in the morning by boat, um, but it still wasn't in the house yet. And then when he went back 
at about seven that morning, um, everything was flooded and you couldn't even get to the back of the neighborhood. So in a period of about five hours is when everybody pretty much got flooded out. Well, you know, a couple things stand out in my mind hearing both of your stories is first how, uh, delayed it seems the worst effects of the storm were in hitting and it was you know there might have been like a a false sense of the storm having been passed and then the you know the uh, drainages got filled up and the dams started to break and the real flooding uh and home loss began to happen uh, and the other thing that, that strikes me that I think is really uh, interesting, I'd, and I want to kind of circle back to this because I think, Steve, this is where you were going, but um, the community kind of comes together. Um, obviously, there were people in need that were getting choppered away and get, going to the hospital, getting medical help. But for those of you who were there and surviving and kind of sheltering in place without the ability to evacuate or access you know, use roads to just get out of Dodge, you were left to your own devices to survive. So you went to the Dollar General. Uh, Steve, you, you apprehended some chickens. Uh, (laughs) And, and you, and you made it work. And I would just love to hear a couple, you know, a story or two about how uh, your community uh, kind of comes together. Well, and, and it's little things, Peter, Um, you know, uh, like Laurieann, um, Lori Ann hadn't even been working at the Dollar General that long. And, uh, and of course, you know, Dollar General, has, you know, said, no, no, you know, there's no power. There's no way, you know, uh, it's a mess. You know, we, we can't serve, you know, we can't do anything. Well, I, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure I know Lori Ann. And Lori Ann just went down there with the keys, opened the store, and, and, uh, and she fed people. I mean, she, she gave people food and, and now they documented everything, you know, every item was written down. Every item had a price to it. You paid, you know, you, you, you had to have cash, you paid your cash and, uh, dollar general, uh, I'm sure lost plenty of money in, in that storm through, uh, inventory, uh, uh, damage from the storm, but, but they didn't lose, they didn't lose money from Ann opening that store. What Ann did was she took care of Dollar General and she took care of her community. And it's just little things like that. We, you know, the, you know, I know, I know where you're going with the chickens, but, uh, like I said, my wife probably won't be too excited because I hadn't really filled her in on that whole gap, but any, any chickens that were damaged in the storm, you know, if we had a broke leg or a broke wing or something like that, you know, I, I had to, um, uh, uh, do what I had to do as a farmer. And, uh, and there was no way there were going to be people in my neighborhood without food. And I'm sitting here, uh, with food. And so we processed chickens and I, I guess that's a politically correct way of saying it. We processed chickens, any damaged or, or, yeah. or hurt chickens, uh, we processed chickens and we provided those to people in the community that, that, you know, didn't have generators or, or water came up and, and shorted their generators out. Right. Uh, and so they, they had no food. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, even people that have made great preparations, um, 
you know, things happened. And so, so we, we processed chickens and provided chickens and, uh, and Steve, uh, I just think that that is, you know, one of this, this is, I think a common, uh, theme that we see after these major events is that people get innovative in how they are going to survive and work with their neighbors to, um, to have a, a, a more positive outlook in the midst of disaster. Yeah, um, yeah with, uh, with our neighborhood, we've always had a Facebook page, and it's usually used for, you know, Johnny hit a home run, everybody celebrate Johnny, you know, just the comings and goings of every day. And when we all got flooded out back there, one of the administrators of the Facebook page who lives there um, used it to rally us all together and used that page to reach out to government groups and, uh, you know, um, volunteer groups. And, you know, we had such an outpour from the community. Um, it, it was just, just amazing. We had groups come in to help us clean the houses out. Groups came in to provide food for the 37 families. You know, they brought lunch every day. They brought dinner every day. Um, you know, there was a, a group that goes around the country called Team Rubicon, um, and they work off of all donations. They came in and helped gut houses out and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I they're mean, all ex-military. And they're all, all ex-military guys. Um, Samaritan's and, Purse. And Samaritan's Purse came in. And, and, you know, so we had all these groups come in. Um, all organized just because we reached out through our Facebook page and said, we've been affected. This is what's going on. And these people, you know, showed up and, and it didn't stop after the initial rush. I mean, there's been donations sent in, there's been furniture sent in, all this kind of stuff, you know, that's being kept at one of the ladies who wasn't affected. She lived up front of that. She's renting a storage facility so everybody can keep their stuff that's been donated to them in a storage facility until their houses get set back up. So, I mean, it's just the, the one positive thing that we've been able to view from this um, is just the, the way the community rallied together and supported each other and didn't stop until the job was done and people could start moving forward. Wow. And, you know, that's the strength of the system and, you know, there's a lot that goes into hurricane planning and mitigation and all of the all of the things that we do officially. And then in the event, uh, the the community power, the person to person, the reaching out, the kind of things that that we do for each other are what really matter. And you know, even though we've, I think most Americans have probably forgotten about Hurricane Florence back in September, uh, thirty. There were 30 people killed by this hurricane, uh, two in Florida, 21 people in North Carolina, direct deaths from the hurricane, four in uh, South Carolina, three in Virginia, and the indirect total is 55 total people lost their lives in this Category 1 hurricane. And uh, I know that that's a small number. These days, when we're talking about the devastating fires out in California, or when we look at the impact of Hurricane Michael in the Florida panhandle in October um, that just destroyed the, the town of Mexico Beach. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's important that we, we remember the severity of these events on the American shoreline and well inland. Uh, 
It's easy for people to comment on, gee whiz, you shouldn't live on the beach. Uh, but how do you say you shouldn't live in the first hundred miles of the North Carolina coast? I don't know how you'd do that. These things are not avoidable. Well, and, and you know, we're, uh, that's a good point. You know, where do you draw the line in the sand? I mean, my, my family's been here on, pretty much on the same land for 10 generations. And, uh, and, you know, Peter, we, we, you know, we were lucky, you know, my home was intact. I I received no flooding. I I received very minimal damage to my home. Um, you know, the business, we, we expected a certain amount of damage to the business. Even, even with a category one, you, you know, you, you know, you're on edge when you've got greenhouses, it's, it's a piece of plastic strapped down across some metal bows you know that's not designed for those kind of winds. So, you, you know, you expect that, you know, but, uh, you know, every time we minimalize hurricanes by saying, you know, oh, well, those, you know, people on the coast shouldn't build a house on the coast, then you've got this vision of those front row homes and thinking that's all that's affected. It's not. I mean, it's, you know, it, it carries back hundreds of miles and, and in, in Joe's case, you know, uh, a home that has never been affected by some fairly severe hurricanes. And here is a category one that, um, you know, I heard somebody talking about it the other day, uh, yesterday, they were saying, Oh, they're trying to recategorize it just because of the amount of damage it did. You know, it it did damage far greater than a normal Category 1 normally does. It doesn't matter what you categorize it as. It, 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 It affected, like you said, people in Virginia paid the price with their life with this storm. And in Florida and here, I mean, it was a huge storm. And all, but absolutely I, was it, it's uh, it's definitely a storm uh, to respect, and it's a storm for us to learn from. And uh, I mean, I I, <clears throat> I mean, I think that it's clear that here we are, a couple months later, and we are now uh, talking about your community. Uh, Steve, where you've spent 10 generations, which is, uh, that's deep roots, um, (laughs) still in a state of recovery. And, um, you know, we've, we've been going now for a little over an hour. So I, I want to respect y'all's time and, and, uh, but I, I do want to give some time to talk about, uh, where things are now and how y'all are feeling, uh, moving forward. Wow. Let, let me just say, uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be brief on mine. As far as the greenhouses are concerned, we're uh, we're waiting on. A, we got a rainy day today, but we're we're basically waiting on some good weather, and we're going to pull some plastic. And you know, we're in that position right now. And so, once we pull plastic, we're going to be right back where we were. Uh, so, from a greenhouse and from a business standpoint. Uh, it was some money out of pocket. Uh, it's, it was 
you know, a little bit of a pain in the rear that we're doing stuff that, uh, you know, you sort of have ideas in your mind, what you want to do and what's next and stuff like that. And this is basically just a three month, if not four months setback in those plans. And, uh, so really everything I wanted to do this winter is going to get pushed back to next winter. We're going to, we're, we're just going to, um, get our, get our business back, back going, which is, you know, like I said, minimal compared to us. Now I'll turn it over to Joe and that's where, you know, when you're talking about his home, he can tell you where he's been living for the past two months and, um, and what he's been having to deal with when you talked about FEMA Uh, He can tell you about FEMA and local agencies and how they've responded and some of the frustrations and successes there and, and stuff like that. So Joe. Yeah, we, like I said, you know, we got flooded out six and six feet of water. Um, We, we basically lost everything because the only thing we have that's not on the first floor in the house is my wife's got a small office above the garage. So everything we owned um, including our two vehicles that we didn't take with us, we, we lost. Um, we had a small pop-up trailer that I argued with my wife we didn't need to take with me, and fortunately she won the argument because we needed it to live in when we got back. Mm. Um, but once we got back and, and we started doing the work to get the house started, um, obviously no power in the house, um, FEMA came in and, and said they would give us the temporary housing, which is the FEMA trailers that they use. Um, FEMA itself has been great to work with. Um, the, where the, the chain of command seems to fall apart is when FEMA hands it off to their contractors. Um, and that's where hmm. things slow down and get lost. Um, like we got approved for temporary housing a week after the storm, but we didn't get a unit brought to us until October 26th. October, um, so that is five, uh, well, five, six weeks, right? After six weeks. Six yeah. weeks. So and- we're, we're living in, in basically a, a soft-shell camper, um, and it had gotten colder than it usually does, unfortunately, um, for North Carolina. We, we hit the cold a little bit earlier in October. Um once they did get us that trailer there, the contractor that they used um, damaged the trailer, um, put a hole in the side, didn't set it up properly with the sewer, um, and then tried to tape it and hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when FEMA's local inspector came out, she obviously failed it for not being set up right, but she's only a contractor with FEMA. She's not a full-time FEMA employee. So she didn't do her end of it and make sure that the contractor, MLU, um, came back and got everything fixed in a timely manner. Um, last sat- this last Saturday is when, after waiting from October 26th until now, um, we have talked to the, the local lady on the ground, the contractors. They kept telling us, be patient, be patient. Meanwhile, because we had to take our pop-up camper down for them to move this trailer in. We're sleeping on the floor above the garage in a house that doesn't have 
electricity, hot water, heat, any of that stuff. Wow. Uh, so, so and, do people? And then I, um, the real frustration came this on Thursday when I was talking to the local contractor. Told them I have kids coming home from college and I have nowhere to put them, and they told me that I was calling too often and blocked my number on her phone so I could not reach her for updates. That's when the regional FEMA people re-got involved in it, seeing that the local people on the ground weren't going to do anything. Um, and they got us a unit and got it set up within two days. You know, my issue is that the, the communication chain broke down to where FEMA Federal is believing that their people on the ground are doing what they're supposed to be doing because that's what they're reporting back is, yeah, it's moving forward. But there's really no check and balances with those people unless you become that squeaky wheel. So the, your your government folks were the ones who ended up giving you a trailer within a couple of days, but only after an extensive uh, period with the private contractors out there who are supposed to execute this. Is is your experience typical? How was it for your neighbors? Or did, did they just have a bad day with you? It, well, it's kind of twofold. Ours was a little bit um, non-typical just because there was a hole put in it. Um, and so they had to figure out whether they were going to let us in, why they fixed it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, the, the local lady on the ground is the same one who's also doing the back end of the development. Those people back there, there's quite a few of them who have their – have finally started to get their trailers in. So it took them a little longer period to get their temporary housing than it did us. But they still can't get the inspectors to come out to finalize the inspection, which gets back to the one lady who has been hired by FEMA to be the local uh, liaison to push these projects through. Well, so let me just make sure I understand it. The, the trailer may be sitting in your yard. It may have a hole in it, but it's it's better than the pop-up. And is the... The thing you they, they you can't get in it. They you're not a. It, that, you can't. There, there's a four step process to get in. They come and they put the trailer down. The contractor does. Yeah. And then the town has to come out and inspect the electrical that's been put up. Okay. And sewer. Once that gets inspected, and, and the town of Leland's been great. They were out within four hours to get their their stuff done. Um, then they've got then FEMA's got to come back and inspect it again. If FEMA says everything looks good. Then they turn it back to the contractor for one last look, and then FEMA comes back and does the walkthrough with you for to hand you the keys to the place. Gee, my uh, once, once they, once the local town approved the power was good and all that kind of stuff, that's where it broke down because the contractor kept telling FEMA, "I'm doing all I can do," but right. she really wasn't pushing it forward. And the town couldn't do anything because they, they kept saying, we, Joe, we've done what we can do. We've approved it. Now the FEMA rep has to get the, I hear you. the contractor to sign off on it. And that's where we couldn't get. I see. So eventually our caseworker just said, the heck with it. We ain't waiting any longer. And they sent us a new one. Okay. So, you, you, so the red tape is <laughs> what we would call that, I think. And most Americans would think it's, of that is it, the, red, it, it, the, the red tape. But, uh, you know, the... I think there's a myth that if we just privatize government services, everything is so smooth because the private sector, and I don't want to generalize here, but 
there is nothing particularly magical about someone being a contractor that suddenly makes them excellent at their job. Uh, the who they, who writes their check isn't the deal. It's the complexity of the of the uh, the delivery of services that is so frustrating. And, and so, are you in this thing and, now? And, and or that, you, are you? That's a great point too. But you know, a lot of it, in, in my view, having to go through this. There's too many layers to go through. Mm-hmm. I don't see why there has to be four people that have to touch this thing yeah. before you can get in. Right. They should be able to deliver it. The town should be able to do their deal. And then FEMA should be able to give you the keys right after that. There shouldn't need to be five additional inspections. I hear you. Even if it goes properly, even if nothing had happened to our unit, there was still four other people after that first person that had to come out to approve it Ooh. before you could get into it. Post, See, uh, I, and and I just want to say that this is uh, for our listeners uh, in uh, local government, for our listeners in the federal government, even our listeners who may work for FEMA. This I hope is uh, a constructive feedback, so that you can be thinking about these issues before storms hit, and think about how you can uh, streamline these processes. Pardon the pun, uh, so that people like Joe can get into their housing more quickly. Um, it's well, obviously, it's, Joe, that's obviously something that you feel strongly about, and uh, that's what this platform is for, is is to hear these stories and to learn from them. Well, and, and Peter, one of the things that you've already hit on, and I think you've, you've, uh, you, you've hit on the most important point of this whole thing, was how a community responds and part of the frustration that I've gone through, and I'm not, you know, you know, just just because Joe and I work together, not only work together, but we've been good friends for for thirty years almost. Um, part of the frustration is is the breakdown comes to one person not realizing their their part in the community, the guy that that set up and installed that trailer, obviously damaged the trailer. And he knew he damaged the trailer. He knew that trailer was their only home. And for five weeks, he he failed to perform, to go out and do what he needed to do to, mm. to fix that trailer. And then it got complicated in that... The, the layer of the person supervising him, which is a FEMA contractor, an administrative contractor, it sounds like. Yeah. She didn't do her job. She could have been, once again, a huge member of our community by just simply saying, okay, listen, this guy's not performing. And since he's not performing, I know that's, that's where they have to live. Yeah. And yeah. so if he doesn't get that trailer fixed in 24 hours, then I'm pre- I'm bringing a new one in. And 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 it's like Joe said the the regional FEMA she you know is part of the community. I mean she yeah. I mean within within 24 hours of her being made aware of the issue, she solved the problem. Yeah. Now the keys still haven't been turned over. But well, I was going to ask Joe, are you going to be are you going to be in this thing? I mean, thanks. This is Thanksgiving week. Are you planning to have Thanksgiving dinner in that trailer? Or are you going to be upstairs in the dark? Now, we'll we'll be be in the trailer. They're they're coming today. 
um, the turnover, the keys, they did allow us to stay in it last night. Um, after the inspector got done with what he was doing, um, you know, so we'll, we'll be in there. Um, it, but it, it just like Steve is telling shows that, you know, the, the regional lady took the bull by the horns and said, we're going to do this, that, and this. And she organized it and told everybody that they needed to be on the property Saturday morning. And one of the guys said to me, you know, this is how it should be done. You know, it should be, they yeah. should, should tell us there's a, excuse me, there's a trailer coming in at noon. You have to be there at three in order to do your inspection because everything will be set up on that. Yeah. Instead let's of sign it and move on. Or for the next step to happen. Well, you know, I think it, in defense of these storms, these are huge events and cover a large area and the number of transactions that have to be managed in terms of, you know, power and water, debris removal, the spectrum of things that the recovery community has to do is huge. But the other thing that makes it difficult, I think, is that the FEMA regional person and the, and the contractors may be working together for the very first time. I mean, these contractors come into the situation, so there are not established clear work relationships that function quickly. And I, I'm not saying I know how to fix this, because I do not. But I do think one of the challenges in the post-post-hurricane uh, story that we're trying to do is the impacts of these events resonate for months. And uh, I'm hoping, Joe, that you're in home sweet home, your new home sweet home, and having a nice uh, Thanksgiving with your family uh, coming up this Thursday. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in there. You know, again, the local community has been great. They've, they've come to our neighborhood and everybody's affected. They've, they're providing Thanksgiving dinner for um, you know, so, you know, like, like what Steve was saying, the local community hasn't forgotten about everybody here. They're, they still continue to, to support each other and, and mm -hmm. help um, to get everybody back to normal, which is going to be a long process. I mean, the, the hurricane happened in September for most people who had houses damaged in our area and up in the Hampstead area, which had even more than we did. It's going to be March to May before everybody gets back into their homes wow. rebuilt. Wow, that is so it, difficult. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's been um, it's like it's like a hurricane, Peter. It's there's a lot of ups and downs in it, and and it's all according to who you're working with and 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 their commitment. Um, and so we we understand. I mean, you know, Joe and I've talked about this. We understand how huge uh, just this one. When, when you look at FEMA, we understand how huge this one effort is yeah. uh, here. But now you combine that with what happened in Florida and then what's happening in California. Yeah. And you, you look at an organization that, um, you know, quite frankly, I, I wouldn't want to be in charge of that. That, yes, is, that uh, is a challenge. You, never, you know, you wake up one morning and all of a sudden you're – you know, you, you've gone from preparation or whatever to absolutely running with your tongue hung out. That's so right. uh, hats off to FEMA. And, and once again, uh, the lady at the regional level here. Well, do you know you her know, name, uh, Steve? I think you got to yeah, give her a mention. Uh, the regional FEMA lady is her first name's Janet. And she only gives me her, her first name and her ID <laughs> number because she's 
She's, uh, it says her last name is so hard to pronounce that it makes my last name look easy. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I think it's common for us all. I mean, the first tweets that go out after these events is we all want to thank the first responders, right? And here's, and here's what we need to think about. There are the second responders and there are the third responders. And we need to acknowledge the work of these folks out there and thank the ones that, uh, I'm not saying, thank them all. I mean, but we're talking about the life, I mean, the life, people's lives come together in this, hopefully you have your life after the first response, and then you start to build your life and put it back together with the second responders and the third responders and the people who are going to be there all through the next year in, on, in the Carolinas and responding to Hurricane Florence. Uh, so we want to thank you guys for taking time to share your stories with us today and, and to let us know how things are going. And, uh, you know, Steve, maybe we can talk to you some months down the road and see how it's all coming together. Uh, Joe, thank you for your time as well. Yeah, and if any, if any of your listeners out there are looking to help, the Team Rubicon group is the one they should reach out to because they do this nationally all over the country. Um, they have a group that comes in to help muck out the homes. There's a group comes in right behind them to shore up your, your roof so you don't get any further damage. And then there's a group comes behind them to help cut down trees that are damaged and that kind of stuff. And they all, they're all ex-military, and they all work off uh, donations from the community. And they've got a national website. So if any of your, your listeners are looking to, to reach out and help, I would say donate to Team Rubicon. Team Rubicon. You got it. And, and um, from us at... Uh, Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network, uh, we wish both of you and everyone else affected by this year's storm season a very uh, happy Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. Indeed. And last, uh, for those of you on the coast who are in the business of putting those dunes back together, of course, Coastal Transplant's a great company. I think, uh, Steve, check it out at CoastalTransplants.com, right? That's it. Well, thank you, guys, and uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the show today. Uh, so, Peter, Tyler, thank you both for giving us this opportunity to tell our story. We hope, uh, uh, we hope everybody enjoyed our time together today, and, and uh, check back with us. Uh, Peter, we've got some exciting stories to tell about, you know, beaches that fared really well and I want to talk about that renourishment systems that worked and those that didn't and uh, so we've got some we've got some we can get into the details of uh, we can get back to business the next time we yeah. talk how's that sound well I think I you know it's important we do that I'd like to do that and uh, thank all our listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast Network and uh Get a shout out out there. Take a look at coastalnewstoday.com. You can subscribe for free. There's a lot of great news every day about the American Shoreline. And uh, please subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network on Apple Pods, Google Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Rate and review our shows. And uh, we'll see you next time on the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you, Tyler. Oh,